Center Ray Church. I'm Tara. Hi, and I'm Meredith, and we're here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering today. Hello to everyone joining us today. No matter where you're connecting from or even when you're connecting, whether it's Sunday or later in the week, welcome to you. And hello to any watch parties that are out there. Yes, and a very special welcome to any guests joining us for the very first time. We are so happy that you've joined us today. Each time we start off a gathering, it's with our guests in mind. And so over the next couple of minutes, we'll share some information that we trust will help you. We know that visiting online isn't the same as visiting in person, of course, but we're excited that you're choosing to spend time with us, and we hope that you feel at home today. You can learn more about us on our website, but for now, we'll highlight some things related to your first gathering at Centerway. And for those that hear this every single week, uh, just stick with us because this may help you as well and there's always a bit of new information if you're gathering live on sunday we encourage you to check out the tabs right on the online platform you can share your information with us which will just help us to follow up and get feedback from you also on the live platform you can explore next steps and find previous messages and if you call centerway home and would like an easy way to give there's a tab to do that during the gathering, if you have any questions or if you would like prayer, just request prayer and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're not on the live platform and find yourself watching or listening later in the week, many of the things I just mentioned can happen through our website. If you'd like to connect with us after this gathering, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or if you just need prayer, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Yeah, and besides emailing us, uh, you can check out our social media and you can make use of the resources on our website. If you visit the messages page, you'll find all of our messages, including one just for kids. They'll <laughs> sing a couple of songs and Tara here does an incredible job uh, sharing God's word with our kiddos. They actually learn from the same scripture text that you do. And so we'll be able to discuss the application together if you have kids in your home. Also on that page are resources related to the message like images to add to your devices, links to the Spotify playlist for the series, and access to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that our team creates. One note about that, if you'd like to receive the devotionals directly to your inbox instead of going to the website, you can subscribe on the Next Steps page for that. So we're just about finished here, but we want to make you aware of another in-person yes. gathering coming up. Whoa! I'm so excited. <laughs> it was amazing to see many of you at Easter, which was our first in-person Sunday gathering in over a year. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, we can look forward to another chance to gather in person on Sunday, April 25th. Mark your calendars. Mm -hmm. We will continue to offer an online option, but we encourage you to come in person if you're comfortable. It's at a new location, and those details are on the calendar page of the website. Website. We'll also update you on social media and via email. So share your info if you don't already receive emails from us. Also on that day, our Centerway kids from pre-K through sixth grade will have their own space to gather and that we cannot wait for. Yes, today. my kiddos are so excited about that. Uh, and we're also excited. If you are new to Centerway, you should know that we're about two years old and we're a mobile church, which just means that we don't yet have our own building yet. Um, <laughs> but opportunities are finally starting to become available to meet here and there. And so while we are continuing to pray and continuing to look for a consistent space of our own, of course we're doing that, um, but we're just gonna take every opportunity to safely gather. Even if it means different locations, uh, we're just excited about that because we often talk about how church isn't a building. Mm -hmm. It's the people on mission together. So any time, any way, any place that we're able to gather, whether it's online at another church, at a sports facility outdoors, um, that's really just the vehicle for us to be together. So it's worth prioritizing any way that we can celebrate what God is up to, uh, chance to be together and hear the word and worship. So just keep perspective on that. Stay flexible as we do our best to find ways to be together in the coming months. Mm -hmm. 
So now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Deidre will be reading the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then Meredith and I will close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. Right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now here's Deidre with the text for today. Good morning, Centerway. I'm Deidre, and I'll be reading the scripture this morning. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Hello and welcome. My name is Claude and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Excited you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in our series, Greater Expectations. This morning's message is specifically entitled Self, so Greater Self Expectations. Um, there's been a lot of times that I have been um, disappointed with myself or surprised by myself, like something kind of comes out and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that or did that. Um, every once in a while though, I'm present for moments when other people surprise themselves. And honestly, those are moments that I really <laughs> enjoy. Um, there's one time in particular that uh, I was out playing paintball. And I've only played paintball, I want to say maybe two or three times my entire life. And so um, some of what I'll say, if you are a paintballer, um, might not make sense or might have a specific name. I don't know all the names, but uh, we went out one time with someone for their birthday. It was a group of guys. Uh, I think we were in our 30s, maybe, maybe late 20s. And we went to a paintball park for this guy's birthday. And it was just kind of this fun get together with a bunch of guys. And we split up into teams. We had team competitions and different things. And then there was a certain time where the people running the course, um, I don't know the name of it, but basically every man for himself, essentially. And so there'll be one individual winner. And a couple of my friends uh, paired up with the guy whose birthday it was. And so it was kind of like three of them had decided that they were going to kind of um, come together to make sure that kind of the birthday guy won. And the whole day, he kept saying that he didn't really care about winning, that he just wanted to have fun, just wanted to have fun with friends. And yet every time he was on the winning team, in some cases, it was others situating, you know, kind of working the situation out so that he would have fun on his birthday. But other times it seemed like maybe he really did want to win. And so this time in particular, 
we're playing and uh, I get shot, I'm out, different people one at a time, they start dropping. Obviously it's a group of three against individuals and so they're kind of picking everyone off. And so it's kind of, it's the end of the round essentially. And so the referee's standing there and it's the three of them and he says, okay, well, one of you needs to win. And they're like, what? And they're like, oh, well, we're fine with, with him winning. And he's like, yeah, I, I just want to have fun. It doesn't matter to me. He's like, well, no, I mean, you have to surrender or something. And as he's kind of articulating it, the guy whose birthday it is, all of a sudden just shoots one of his teammates right in the side. Boom, just shoots him with a paintball. And the guy's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, he said there has to be one, one winner. And he's like, yeah, but you, I would have just like, I would have just quit. I would have surrendered. And so he looks over at the other guy and the other guy's looking at him. And it's like this amazing moment where everyone's like, what's going to happen? He's like, I, I, I'm not proud of myself. I'm, I'm not proud of myself. And he just raises his gun. He's like, wait, what are you, what are you? And he shoots him point blank right in the chest. Uh, we all just erupted in laughter. The guy's screaming because obviously that close, it just stung. He, of course, wouldn't let him live it down. He opened up his shirt, was showing the welt and the spot where his skin actually split a little. And uh, the whole time, the guy's saying, I just want to have fun. I just want to have fun. But when it came right down to it, he wanted to win. He wanted to win. And so the question I want us to consider as we move into the text this morning is this, why is it impossible to hide what we value? Why is it impossible to hide what we value? What's interesting about this question is that we live in a culture where we talk a lot about what we value as individuals, as families, as organizations. This idea of value kind of saturates our culture. But as the saying goes, talk is cheap right? Talk is cheap. The truth is we act on what we value. We act on what we value. We could talk about how much we just want to have fun with our friends, but at the end of the day, when you shoot someone that's standing point blank range that just helped you get to this point, what you're really saying is, I value winning. That's what it's really about to me. So pay attention to what I said. We don't always act on what we say that we value, but we always act on what we actually value, okay? So we don't always say, like, I value this. We don't always take action on what we say we value. But what we act on always reveals what we value. Our actions always betray us. It's impossible to hide what we, what we value because when the rubber hits the road, we prioritize what we value. It's revealed. It's a human condition, Christian or not. You can see what we actually value based on what we do, or also it's revealed on what we don't do, what we don't do. Now, you may be wondering what this has to do with today's text. As you heard the text read, uh, we talk about divorce, talk about adultery, and even uh, the interaction with Jesus elevating the importance of childlike faith. So how does all of this come together to today's text? In fact, today's text is not super popular in our culture because unfortunately, this idea of divorce is almost used as a weapon in Christendom. And that's obviously very unfortunate and not the intent of the text. So you see, people will say that they love you, but then they'll shame you 
when they discover that you're divorced or before you cheer too hard divorcee that has unfortunately maybe been shamed by others or people will say that they love you and allow you to walk out on your spouse without telling you the truth in love. You see, it's two very different situations revealing what people really value. As humans, we really value self, self-preservation, what it is that we want, self-reliance. It's really about us. And so the text the, this morning, the text as we talk about it today, it actually runs against this idea of self, what it is that we want versus what God intended. Now, my hope is always that you remain with us the whole time, um, but this message in particular is very important for you to remain either watching the whole time or listening the whole time, because otherwise you might hear something that I say, draw a conclusion and assume that I never came back around to clarify. So please don't assume anything and remain engaged as we talk about some topics that could be somewhat offensive if taken out of context. First, let me say this. As typical, this passage is for all of us. It's for all of us. It's for us, whether we're married, whether we're divorced, single, all of us alike. The scripture always reveals something for us to grapple with. So please listen for yourself. What I mean by that is sometimes when you hear a message and the conversation leans a little bit towards marriage or some type of topic like that, the, the temptation is to either push away and say, well, this doesn't matter to me. I'm not married. Or this doesn't matter to me, but I hope so-and-so is listening. Hmm, that was a good one. I hope they heard that. And I want you to listen for yourself. You see, we might look at... Um, at this text and conclude that it's only for men because he uses he and she. But the reality is in that culture, when we consider in context, uh, men were able to divorce women more readily. And so women were turned away by men. And so Jesus is talking about divorce in the context of men. But the reality in today's culture where a woman can divorce as easily from a man as a man can from a woman, this text applies to all of us. So it's not just for married or divorced or even single, but also for men and women. It's an issue for humanity. Now, let's talk about the text. Might look at it at face value and think that this is really about divorce and kids, but it's about those things and so much more. You see, Jesus is addressing something far deeper He's addressing something attached to self, something attached to our expectations. In fact, if we look at context, we see that the Pharisees once again are trying to trap Jesus. And this time they're asking about divorce. But Jesus answers with a question and then actually doesn't talk about divorce. He talks about marriage. It's interesting. Let's look together at verses 6 through 9. Jesus is speaking and he says this, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father, sorry, his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. For they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus says God's original design for marriage is that you'd remain married until one of you dies. Now, what's interesting 
is that everyone that I've ever um, married to one another, and I've performed several marriages, more than several, I think several implies, I don't know how many, but lots of marriages, without hesitation and without issue to my knowledge, based on my experience, they will repeat as part of their wedding vows until death do us part. It's a typical part of a wedding vow. You hear it often and people will repeat it without hesitation. And yet, often people are offended when they're reminded of what it is that they said that day. Isn't that interesting? That we say it, but when it comes down to what it is we value, it's harder to act on. Now, here's a perfect example of why you need to keep listening. The context must be considered. Marriage is a covenant made before God. Some of you got married and divorced before you were in relationship with God. Now, God still is for marriage, but we shouldn't be surprised when people not in relationship with God treat marriage as a simple contract, right? Sometimes in Christendom, we attempt to impose Christian values on people that never profess Christ. And then we draw conclusions based on that. We shouldn't be surprised when people that are far from God don't treat marriage as a covenant before God. It's a simple contract. So here's the deal. When contracts are no longer advantageous for either party, we seek to void the contract, right? That's the way our culture works. And so if marriage is viewed as a simple contract, then it makes complete logical sense why people would pursue a divorce when all of a sudden it's no longer about my self-interests. But what if it's a covenant? What if it's a covenant taken before God? What if two have become one before God? You see, we say death until death do us part, but we actually value self. We actually value our own self-interest. We all value self. I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about people that are far from God that enter into a marriage relationship now. I'm talking about all of us. The human condition, the fallen human condition is about me, about my best interests, about self. And so, of course, that's why relationships are difficult. Because we enter into a relationship with our baggage and we're looking for our own self-interests. So, of course, marriage would be even more complicated and more difficult. You know, this phrase that Jesus, is, that Jesus uses, one flesh, it, it means... It's no longer about me. It's now about us. It's about us as a unit. It means my time, my talent, and my treasure are about us, not about me. It means that people that enter into a covenant relationship are now saying, what is God asking of us? It's not about what's advantageous for me anymore. It's about a mission that has begun. Married people. Do you live this way? Do you live this way? Do you function where you lay self down? Not in some self-deprecating way, but in a way where you enter into a relationship and say, listen, this is not about me. This is about us. Now, before you answer, your spouse might be listening. So just consider that. Now, you might, again, be sitting there saying, now, you are such a liar, man. You said that this was going to have application to all of us, but you're talking about married people over and over again. So what does this have to do with a single person? Well, single person, do you want to live this way? I mean, 
you're used to, to considering yourself. You're used to functioning according to your own biases, your own opinions and preferences, and that's okay. Are you wanting to live in a way where you lay self down and it becomes more about us? God commends singleness within scripture. You don't have to get married. It's not a must. So if, if you do, in fact, want to live this way, are you considering the implications of your relationships? In other words, sometimes we talk about marriage as this end result, but we don't think about the context of the relationships that we're in now. Are we, are we relaying, I'm sorry, are we considering the implications of what it looks like to lay myself down and to consider what us looks like? What it looks like to, to view our lives through the lens of life together. I've never met a divorcee that didn't want a do-over somewhere in their relationship. Now, let me say something that shouldn't be shocking, right? God hates divorce. It's not shocking, right? In fact, he says so in Malachi. But here's the deal. So do we. We hate divorce too. And when I say we, I mean humans. Nobody enjoys the idea of divorce. No one starts a marriage in hopes that it won't last. I mean, pull anyone aside that has gone through a divorce. They don't sit there and say, hmm, I remember my wedding day like, like it was yesterday. Just woke up in the morning and thought, can't wait till I can start this thing just to end it. You know what would be great? Is if I went through the pain and difficulty of divorce. Of course not. It's absurd. We all, we all hate it. No one goes into a marriage looking forward to ending it. Divorce is messy. It's painful. Even, even divorces that end well, you know what I'm talking about. They're not, they're not great. They're not great situations. It just means that it was better than, than the wreckage of some other ones. And then, of course, if there's kids involved, it's just it's gut-wrenching. And it doesn't matter if they're young kids or older kids. I've watched grown men and grown women. I remember in college, one of my classmates just breaking down in tears, weeping, like ugly crying, just found out that their parents were getting a divorce. You don't want that in a family unit. Nobody looks forward to this. It's not God's design. Marriage was never intended to be a contract based on self-happiness. It's a covenant that starts a mission together to say, let's do life with God in the center. Let's, let's be us, arms linked, doing life together. God's desire is that troubled marriages would be reconciled. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 even says that sometimes separation is wise so that you can work on the issues and come back together. But listen, if you've gotten divorced, if you've gotten divorced before you were a Christ follower and you're remarried, I'm not shaming you. I'm not trying to shame you today. There may be some things that, that you need to repent of. And if you haven't already, then I want to ask you to consider that. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. But once that is done and once you've come before the Lord and you've laid, your, you've laid yourself bare before him, then I want to challenge you to commit your current spouse to function more as a covenant partner than someone that you've entered into a contract with. Now, does that mean I never think divorce is biblical? I believe that divorce is 
biblically permissible in some cases. And I think the, the text is talking about it, so I would be amiss to, to not address it. So I want to, to say a couple things where I think biblically it is permissible. In cases of sexual immorality, in cases of desertion by an unbelieving spouse, situations of abuse, and as I've already mentioned, in situations if the divorce was pre-conversion. Now listen, I'm talking about this, as I've already mentioned, because the text is talking about it. And I have a lot of uh, people that are uncomfortable with the conversation. In fact, I know people that are pastors that won't even grapple with this because they don't want to offend or they don't want to ruffle feathers. But the scripture is the scripture. I'm going to unapologetically communicate what's there, and I want to do it in love. So I understand that none of our lives fit neatly into any little box. So I'm going on record saying that I'd love to talk to you before you assume what it is I think about your situation. All right. So I'm getting that out there and hopefully you've continued listening up until this point. Here's why. The reason why is because the Holy Spirit will convict, but it's the enemy of hell himself that will condemn. And so if you feel condemned this morning, know that that is not from the Holy Spirit. That is not from God and that is not from me. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm instead saying, listen, we are all sinners saved by grace doing life together. And this is much more large and much deeper than simply divorce. And we'll get to that. We're going to get to that. I want to say this before we get to that. Marriage is not your savior. Marriage is not your savior. I'm not trying to convert you to marriage, okay? The gospel can transform your marriage, but the gospel is the truth. The gospel, God himself, Jesus is your savior. He's your only savior. Listen, for some singles out there, marriage is not an end to itself. It's not the goal of your life. If you're running after marriage with all of your strength and might, then you're running after an idol, Marriage will not solve your problems. In fact, it will only complicate them because you bring yourself into every relationship. It won't deliver what only God can. Pursue God, not marriage. Pursue God. Listen, I'm also not saying that non-Christians can't have good marriages. That is dumb. I know people that say that. That it's impossible to have a good marriage and unless they're Christians, unless you're a Christ follower, you just can't have a good marriage. The problem is we all know somebody that's been married for 80 years and don't believe that there's a God. <laughs> what do you do with that? That's messed up theology. You can have a good marriage without God being the center of it. That is possible. Maybe you're listening or watching and you're like, yeah, I don't believe there's a God, but I'm having a perfectly good marriage. We can have a good marriage. But there's greater self-expectations if you keep God the center because he created marriage. So can you have a good marriage? Yeah, but I want to tell you the greatest marriage, the most fulfilling marriage. You think your marriage is good now? Imagine God in the center of it. And instead of you willing yourself to lay down your own self at every turn, instead, the truth of the gospel that transforms us and the reality that Jesus laid down his life all of a sudden turns us into to willing to lay our lives down for others. It's a transformation that goes from a good marriage to the greatest marriage, life to the fullest, which God makes available. So here's the deal. Like it or not, marriage exposes us. 
marriage exposes us. Verse 15 of the text we're in says this. Jesus is speaking again. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Like a child. Like a child. What does it mean to to enter, to receive the kingdom of God like a child? You see, the conversation is connected. It's not simply about marriage and it's not simply about children. There's something that Jesus is connecting here in this text. Becoming mature in the faith means having childlike faith. And as we've talked about in the weeks prior, kids in this society have no social rank whatsoever. So childlike faith means I bring nothing to the table besides my need. I come with my expectations of self but ultimately, I bring only my need. Listen, no one gives grace better than someone who knows how badly they need it. You have to understand that you need grace before you can ever reward grace to others. Don't miss what the text is showing us this morning. The problem isn't that the disciples don't understand Jesus' view of marriage and children. And the problem is not that we don't understand God's view of marriage and children. We, we understand that. We know God is for marriage. We know God is for children. So then what is the problem? The problem was their value system. That's our problem as well. That's what Jesus is addressing. They valued self. They're coming off the heels of self-reliance. They're talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom. It's about them. Everything is about them. And so in that culture, marriage was very much about them as well. We're not different. We're not different. We still are all about self-reliance. We're still talking about how great we are. And we're still in the midst of going into relationships, trying to get what we want out of it. And Jesus is saying, listen, it is not about you. That's not what this is all about. The kingdom of God is entirely different. And the value system has to be entirely different. You must have greater self-expectations. If you think you're deserving If you think you're less sinful and more important, then it's really easy to to look down on others that aren't as well behaved, aren't as put together, don't have as good a marriage as as I have. It's, It's very easy to consider how important we are. In fact, let me read something for those of you that think divorce and adultery is beneath you. It's Matthew chapter 5, chapter 5, verses 27 through 28. Jesus is speaking. He says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, it's really easy to look down on other people to cast judgment about their situation, about their marriage, because we're not willing to look at ourselves. And once again, he's talking to males, but this is is for men and women. We commit adultery within our heart. 
sin is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. In, in fact, it's one that you can act on without ever being married, let alone being divorced. We need to understand the actual depth of the problem so that we can actually find freedom. If we don't grapple with the reality of the problem, then we'll try to be our own functional saviors. We'll just think about the relational conflict and we'll try to resolve hurt and pain and, and we'll try to navigate it as if it's the issue, but there's a root that runs deeper. And we need to have greater self-expectations and allow the gospel to reorder our relationships and our lives. God, would you search my heart? Would you search my heart, Lord? Would you show me the areas that are wicked, the areas where I just want to serve myself, where I want what I want out of this situation, where my expectations are dictating the outcome? God, would you search my heart and forgive me? It's so much deeper. It's so much deeper than marriage. It's so much deeper than children. It runs to the very core of the truth of the gospel and whether or not we're willing to be transformed. We say every week that the text requires something of us. So I want to ask you a question as we conclude. Where in my life do I need to let God's priorities reorder mine? Sorry, I want to ask you a question to consider. So this is a question I want us all to ask as an application. Where in my life do I need to let God's priorities reorder mine? To say, you know what? This isn't about myself. Because Jesus paid the price for me. And I'm bought by a price. And if I'm redeemed, then that means that my life has purpose. And there's a plan and the plan is bigger than my marriage and it's bigger than my kids. And that as I enter into a covenant relationship, we're living on mission together because of what God has called me to, what God has called us to. Where in my life do I need to let God's priorities reorder mine? Now, if you're hearing this this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, it needs to start right there where you need to allow God to reprioritize is to ask him to be the Lord and leader of your life, to remove self, yourself, from the throne of your own life. If that's you, it can be a simple prayer. It doesn't have to sound like this, but at some point being able to say, God, I'm a sinner, and I acknowledge the fact that you died for my sins. Would you forgive me and be the Lord and leader of my life? Some variation of that prayer can begin a relationship where you lay self down and you allow God to be the Lord and leader of your life. In fact, if you prayed that prayer and you're with us live, I want to encourage you to select the prayer button. If you click on that prayer button, it'll put you in a private chat with one of our hosts and we'd love to talk to you about the next steps and the decision you just made. If you're listening or watching to this later, you can reach out to us via our email or our website. We'd love to talk to you about the decision you made so it's not just an emotional response. For others of us, if you've already crossed that line of salvation, what does it look like to allow God to prioritize or reorder your life in the area of dating, maybe in the area of marriage, maybe in your singleness? What does it look like for, for my life to, to be prioritized and reordered in line with what God is asking me to do? It's something you need to consider. 
If you have already considered that, and if you're in a, uh, in a, either a relationship or as a single person saying, I allow God's priorities to reorder mine on a daily basis. I reset my heart and mind every morning. If that's you, then I want to challenge you. There's still something that the text requires of you. And so what does it look like for you to function on mission? To be missional in the way that you function with those priorities. Are, are you missionally living as a single person, as a married person? As someone with a family, are you bringing your kids around and say, listen, we're going to go, we're going to participate in this sport function, or we're going to go do this thing, whatever it might be, but we're going to do it on mission through the eyes of what God has called us to do and be. Let's allow God to mess with us. Allow the gospel to uproot the selfish roots in our hearts and minds so that we could be reordered by his priorities. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we lay our lives down. We ask that, that you would speak truth. Father, the, the areas of our life where we feel condemned, God, would you show us that we're believing lies, that we would replace those with truth, and God, that would we respond to the conviction of your Holy Spirit? If there's areas that we need to repent of, Father, I pray that you would just show that to us right now, that we would reorder our priorities, reorder our lives according to your will and your way. Father, we worship you, we love you, and we pray that you would lead, guide, and direct us in every area of our lives. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. Hope to see you next week as we continue in our series, Greater Expectations. Thanks for gathering today. We're always so thankful to hear the word and be challenged by it. As Claude said, this is a scripture passage many of us shy away from, but we're committed to preaching what the text says. And we want to encourage you to lean in and apply it even when it's uncomfortable. If you want to talk more about this or further unpack some things this text brings up for you, please reach out. There's application for each and every one of us. So take the time considering where in my life do I need to let God's priorities reorder mine? Yeah, you're never going to regret asking the Holy Spirit how He wants the Word to transform you. It always leads to life, and that kind of obedience is worship. So we're excited to get to worship in that way together. Another way that you can worship is through song, and that's something we get to together right now if you're gathered live. If you're connecting at another time, you can still worship by singing along with the video posted on Facebook or along with the songs on Spotify. Just search Centerway Church and look for the Greater Expectations playlist. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.